Welcome to the next episode of Behind the Scrubs, an original podcast series produced by UT Arlington's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. I'm Aspen Drude, manager of Conheis Center for Rural Health, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Jeff Taylor, Conheis Associate Director in the Office of Enrollment and Student Services. Hey, Jeff. Aspen. How what, are you? What's happened? I'm fantastic today. You're always fantastic. You know, I like I like to think so, but we're gonna we're gonna make it. You know, I I followed your advice. From the last episode. Shocking. And, you know, you're, it turns out you're right. I, I, I like to admit when when you're right and I'm wrong about things, but apparently other podcasts do exist. Which podcast did you listen to? Did oh, you listen to anything I'm not going to name drop here. They, <laughs> they were interesting enough. They, they, were, they were good. But, yes, they do exist. Um, and I listened to them. I'm very proud of you. I, I listened to a podcast yesterday. What did you listen to? Um, I listened to a podcast about the uh, true history of Thanksgiving. The true history of yeah. Thanksgiving. I learned that by watching Charlie Brown. Oh, we love a Charlie Brown. Yes, it was really, it was, uh, um, this is, is it time for a Charlie Brown conversation? <gasps> yes. Because really, if, okay, I, we're all friends we here. We could do a Charlie Brown Christmas. I have my Christmas tree up already. Love it. But I it really, never came down, but still. I need to talk about Peppermint Patty <laughs> and how she's a terrible person. <laughs> Might be the worst person in any literary <laughs> cultural field that's ever existed, and I'm that wow, includes Sauron. That includes Voldemort. Yeah, I'll, why? Why? Peppermint Patty's the worst. Why? Okay. You feel very. Do we really want to do this? Because we can move on to other things here. Well, now, no. now I'm interested. Okay, Peppermint Patty. Let's just say she has high expectations for things that Charlie Brown should do, and she doesn't pitch in at all. All, all my all my gal Patty does is complain. She contributes nothing. And I think she's kind of mean to Marcy. Dang. Okay, but that's over Voldemort. Like where I'm I'm you lost me on that one. What did Voldemort really do? What? <laughs> he that's murdered worse. people. Okay, that's I fine. Mean, yes. That's okay. Number one. Th- that's a tough look. You're right. <laughs> but Peppermint Patty is worse. And I'm, I I I'll, She's I'll worse cuz she's it. mean to people. She is. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, I'm just saying, maybe it's hyperbolic. I mean, you're wrong, but it's okay. It might be hyperbolic. <laughs> I might be speaking emotionally. Maybe I had a peppermint patty in my life <laughs> at some the point. trauma. It is. Speaking of trauma, so um, as we were all traumatized by the Rangers last year, uh, we weren't traumatized by them this year because they won. They actually did. And as a, as a lifelong Rangers fan, I really had difficulty um, – uh, understanding my emotions of, of when you have pride in your team. <laughs> I didn't really time. get it. I mean, I, as a Rangers fan, I get it. I mean, I'm a Mavericks fan. We got that one a long, a while back, but like it's it, this, this point of pride is just, it's just, it's just tough to, uh, to do. And I'm, I'm really glad that the Rangers could cross the finish line. Unlike the stars. Okay, sir. I like listen. the stars. So, let it be known. I, let it be known that I am not a baseball fan, but I am supportive of the Rangers winning. I'm excited for them. I don't, the baseball's not my jam, but hockey is my jam. So don't come for my stars. Okay. They did so good last year. They did great. They did great. And they're going to do well this year too. So, okay. I hope so. We're I hope, I hope wood. we always win, but we can all agree on the fact those darn cowboys. Oh, we don't we don't talk they're about not, them. They're not gonna they're it's not okay. gonna do much. And it's uh, you okay. already know that it's it's in the atmosphere that when one Dallas team does well, the other two can't also do well. And so I'm praying, 
praying when one does well, the other two don't do well. So there's three teams, right? There's the four. Da- what were you talking Who about? Who are we? Who's Cowboys, the Stars, team? Mavs, Rangers. Oh, I totally forgot the Mavs. I'm not How? even going to lie. You can't forget Luca. That, I'm sorry. I do love Luca. Luca's okay. great. I'm sorry. Anyway, I forgot. Everyone. Okay, okay, okay. But going back, so. We win some, we lose you some. You already know that if it's in the atmosphere that the if one Dallas team does well, the others cannot also follow that. So I'm praying that we break that this year, okay? The Stars win. The Mavs win. Can, We're you, not going to talk about the Cowboys. You can't win it's them fine. all. Can't win them all. And speaking of not winning them all, the legislature oh, uh, finished, you know, all their their proceedings over the summer. Our episode four was about the legislature. And uh, if y'all may remember, those of you that listened, Aspen and I kind of went in on it. Aspen educated me on multiple bills that were being proposed. And there's updates to be involved here. And this time, Aspen and I have, have brought a couple of folks on board with us to really go go deep on that, and among other things as well, specifically with advocacy and, and healthcare systems around. So for the first time, we have two wonderful guests, and we're going to let them introduce themselves in just a moment. Dr. Draganic, Dr. Eads, welcome to Behind the Scrubs. I'm Dr. Carrie Draganic. I am the director of the Adult Gerontology Acute Care Nurse Practitioner Program here at UTA. Hello, and I'm Dr. Tammy Eads, and I am the director of the MSN Administration Program here at UTA. Yes, we are really glad you're here. You know, we... Uh, did a podcast going over policy and whatnot, and it was Aspen and I, and we we, we did our best, um, but I'm really glad to have a couple of experts here with us to really go deeper into what actually happened. Yeah. After the fact. After the fact. So really, just to kind of set the tone here, um, Dr. Eads, Dr. Gigantic, what, uh, what got you interested in nursing and policy and all, and all those wonderful things? Um, I think for me... Way back when, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed um, enjoyed ER, the show, and George Clooney when he <laughs> was the physician. Um, and I think that really got me involved in emergency medicine and critical care. And I was fortunate enough to go to a school that had pre-nursing, and so I was able to do the pre-nursing track, still loved it, went right to college, finished, got into nursing, wanted to become an NP, and here I am today. <laughs> And mine is a little bit different story. I got into nursing as a second career. I was a dental assistant, and my dentist told me, he said, I'm going to fire you because you need to go become a nurse. Um, and so I started. that's where I started thinking about that. It wasn't really a calling for me at first, but when I got into it, I found I loved it and uh, have been in love with nursing ever since then. So, And then that brings – you asked about um, how I got into health policy. I, I, had, a, I had a nursing – a faculty and a nursing friend of mine that we went down to nurse day at the Capitol one year when I was in school and it just it was so exciting and so invigorating and I knew right then that that's where my passion was with with the legislative session and helping out nurses. It's funny that you say that you know you had somebody that was like I'm going to fire you so that you get into what your your passion is that I can I can see what that would be and I think that's really awesome that you had somebody that 
that did that to you for you and pushed you into that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked, uh, in our, in our last podcast about where some of these bills, uh, were at and where we thought they were going to go, but that was before, um, the governor actually approved these things. And so, um, I want to just kind of take a deep dive into what you guys, um, have been seeing after the fact, um, and what you guys have kind of been doing in terms of advocacy and, um, maybe giving our viewers a little a little bit of uh, motivation on how they can advocate, uh, even if they've never advocated before. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, we started, we had, we just finished up the 88th legislative session this year, and we started back uh, two years ago preparing for this session. We always start preparing for the next session immediately, and so we got our nurses to, we talked to our representatives, we did the research, we found out what we were lacking and what we needed to push as far as a bill or law. And so we started talking to our legislators immediately, and we saw a big momentum right there and a win-win, and uh, we had some great supporters. Uh, Donna Howard and Stephanie Click, who are both nurses, were are, have always been on our nursing side, and so they helped us start pushing some of those bills through. We went to Nurse Day at the Capitol uh, back in, in March, and we had over 600 nurses uh, descend upon the Capitol. We talked to our legislators and their staff. We took one-page briefers about policies and laws that we wanted to see. And that's the largest that's ever been, right? It's the largest. And we're, so we're amazing. Gonna, we're planning for lots more this next this next session. Awesome. So. Yeah, I think, like, in preparing for the next two years, kind of, like, calling upon nurses to become advocates for their profession. And, you know, looking at our past with the COVID-19 um, pandemic, you know, nurses weren't involved with the President Trump's coronavirus task force, as well as Biden's um, advisory board. And I think having missing that key component of the nursing perspective on something that was a global and national and community health um, catastrophe, you know, really was an oversight on the committees. And, you know, we need interdisciplinary teams to bring um, healthcare challenges and foster creativity um, and bring, develop comprehensive policies that have all focus. You know, nurses, especially with the vaccine rollout with COVID, like that is a nursing perspective that was totally missed, I think, with these task force. And I think here's where we'll put a plug in, and you're going to hear Carrie and I talk about this quite often. Uh, get involved with your nursing professional organizations. And you say, well, Tammy, I'm just one voice. What difference can I make? Well, one voice turns into two voices, turns into four voices. We have over 330,000 nurses in the state of Texas, and one voice is really is 330,000 nurses and 4 million across the country. So uh, get involved in your organi professional organizations, whatever that may be, but get involved and talk to the legislators early. Go, go to see them in their – when they come to their hometowns, go see them in their hometown. Yeah. So I think in the in the last podcast I did I put in a little plug for the NRHA the National Rural Health Association um, because that's that's how I advocate personally. But how do you? What organizations do you advocate through? Since you guys are, are nurses and you're you're in it, you know, I'd love to hear. Um, I'm a member of the ANA as well as North Texas Nurse Practitioner and Texas Nurse Practitioner um, in the Society of Critical Care Medicine. Um, as well as, like, at the hospital I work at, um, there's a lot of committees that I'm involved in that help, you know, with sepsis protocols, code blue protocols, infection control, um, and I'm all a part of that, too. Yeah, and so I, I belong to the uh, um, American Nurses Association and the Texas Nurses Association. I just came off the board as the past president in 2023. I was 
president during the COVID time, and I always say I was the virtual president during that time. So, uh, And I belong to uh, American Nurses Organization of Nurse Leaders and the Texas Organization of Nurse Leaders. So. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Um, we really appreciate all of your all of your efforts that you guys put out. I know that it's a lot to be in so many organizations. You know, it takes time. Um, and thank you for your, your presidency as well and your leadership in that organization. Um, we will be adding in the notes um, all the organizations that you guys just listed. So if people have interest in going onto the website and uh, becoming a member of those organizations so that they can can get an opportunity to advocate through an organization, uh, they will be able to. So Nurse Day at the Capitol, um, this year was the largest that it's ever been. And I've heard that at like every conference that I've gone to, even the rural conferences, you know, they're like, Nurse Day at the Capitol really does make a difference. And so when you go and you talk to your legislatures and you're, you're saying like, you know, you have, like she said, over 600 voices saying the same thing. It's, it makes such an impact on some of these people because they're like, oh, I didn't even know that this was a problem. And like Carrie said, right, the, you don't, nurses have not historically been at the table. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make that known. There are so many nurses, like you said, there's over 4 million in the U.S. And so we need to, we need to really be striving to make sure that like, not only are doctors at the table, but nurses as well, because doctors wouldn't have the support that they have without nurses. And then nurse practitioners are, they do the, they do the same job, right? So, um, and that, I guess, leads us into um, nurse practitioners. Uh, you know, we, we fought for, again, this year, for uh, nurse practitioners to have independent practice. Um, do you want to update, update us um, on that? It, it didn't. It, unfortunately, it did not pass. Uh, we make a little bit of headway each legislative session. Uh, I think once we get the medical doctors on board with this, I think we're going to see a, a big gain in that and get the practice. I think um, someone told me the other day, there's 23 states right now that have nurse practice, solo practice for the advanced practice nurses. So uh, we, Texas needs to step up and become part of those states. Okay, I'd like to add to that because um, I think nurse practitioners stepping up to the um, plate can really help with a lot of the things we're seeing in rural health Texas. Um, currently, there's 71 counties in Texas that lack hospitals and 11 counties only have no healthcare facilities, where compared to Dallas County, we have 39 hospitals and Tarrant County has 43. But this is setting us up for a theory of disruptive innovation in which nurse practitioners can fill these spots potentially, because nurse practitioners have been shown to provide quality care at the same health outcomes as physicians. And if these counties need health um, access to healthcare resources, nurse practitioners can definitely fill that void. Well, that definitely sounds logical. I mean, it sounds reasonable. It sounds like it's necessary and it's a need. So what's the holdup? Positions. Legislation. Money. <laughs> Money. All of the above. Yeah. I want to um, take a pause here for our viewers who may not be from healthcare, um, because when I came into healthcare um, from a business background, I did not understand um, that I didn't understand that nurse practitioners did the same thing as physicians. Um, they go through different training routes. However, um, nurse practitioners have full prescription authority. Um, I mean, they, they have the same uh, capabilities as a physician does. And so I just wanted to take a pause and, and mention that um, now that I work with nurse practitioners all the time, you know, I, I, I can now see the difference. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. So awareness might be another another issue. I've actually asked that question, Jeff, to quite a few people when uh, when I'm advocating, when I'm out. And oftentimes I hear that um, 
the medical community, uh, the medical doctors, the physicians, they have this thought that nurse practitioners are gonna are gonna take their job, right? Or they're gonna they're gonna be replacing them. And I don't think that that's the goal. The goal is to make sure that um, you know they're taking a little bit of stress off of physicians because they they can now help them do the same thing. So it's more of like a helpful hand, not it's a collaboration and not I'm taking something away from you. And so I think that that's. Um, something that's often uh, misconstrued or or looked over. Yeah, that's a lot there for sure. I can say personally, I think in almost every instance of a health interaction I've had, I've almost always preferred to have work with an MP than a, than a physician personally. Definitely, because there's that level of care that, that comes up in that understanding. And I think it's really, um, really helpful there. So looking at this, if you could go back to your nursing school self, back after watching ER or being threatened by your dentist, <laughs> whatever those things are, um, what advice would you give yourself about advocacy? Or, and consequently, what would you give, what advice would you give for students now or, or young nurses or new nurses now about that? What's the most important thing they should pull from that? Um, I, I think for me, um, I would have, I wished I would have started a lot earlier advocating um, but that ta- that comes with a little bit of experience and everything. And I always tell my, I tell my coworkers and my students and all my nurses that while you're taking care of my loved ones at the bedside, I'm going to try to take care of you at the legislative session, and and level and make sure that I that I'm taking care of my nurses, not just the patients, but my nurses who are caring for my loved ones. I think for me, like in my nursing school days, advocacy just wasn't really taught. And I think now um, with our new essentials coming out, it's really honing in on the nurse becoming a leader in healthcare and being a part of the movement to improve our patients' health outcomes. And as I've gone through my career in nursing, I've met a lot of great nursing leaders that you know shine the light that you can do this. You can. You have an interesting perspective that you offer. You can help our patients by speaking up and being a part of committees or joining um, local chapters and advocating for the bills to improve our health outcomes. Because I was one of those persons who said, my voice doesn't count, you know, and uh, I learned real quick that I have a loud voice, you know, and, and it does count. And you even saw our dean. Our dean went down to the legislative session and testified this this last legislative session, and I think that says a lot and shows a lot to our, to our students here at the school, so. I think um, something that nurses don't think of themselves as is a leader, even starting out, even just straight out of school, you know, they, they're an RN. And I, I think that oftentimes they're like, well, I'm not a leader, but you are. People listen to you. People listen to your voice because you're taking care of their families or, you know, you're, you're, that is your kind of your niche, right? And so um, uh, oftentimes even Nurses that are starting out are leaders. People are looking up to them, and I think oftentimes they don't they don't quite realize that. So I think that's something that I'm I'm really glad that you touched on that. You know, you've seen other leaders that encourage students to you know make your voice heard, and um, I think it's it's really important that we as um, as teachers as managers we lead these students and say like your your voice will be heard. It should be heard. It needs to be heard. You have something that is unique. Looking at the legislative session here and talk about the advocacy, would you like to share some of the the wins that the that the nursing profession has had over this last legislative session? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, what we found out was that uh, we were 
we found out in the research that we were uh, had workplace violence was the number one one of the number one deals. We still were not able to get that passed in the past legislative sessions. We did get it passed that it was a felony for ER nurses to be uh, harassed and violated uh, back in 2015, I believe it was. And then this year we got the law pad the bill passed. I, I think it's Senate Bill 240. Senate Bill 240 uh, is the workplace violence bill, and that and now it is a felon felony if you assault a nurse uh any type of nursing just about and um also that came come along with that is the uh senate bill 1004 which was the felony to remove the electronic monitoring device and both of these bills are going to be named after the nurse and the social worker that was that were killed at the methodist dallas hospital the uh it's going to be called the jacqueline flowers act and so um uh, that's in memory of those two that lost their their lives due to uh, someone taking their uh, monitor bracelet off and going into the hospital and killing them. So um, the other bills that we were excited about passing was uh, the uh, Senate Bill 240, and uh, excuse me, Senate Bill 25, and that was where the uh, the education that was the education where we we saw we had a shortage of nurses. Uh, I think we're. By the year 2025, we're going to be 50, 57,000 nurses short. And so that bill uh, that passed is going to help bring more money into getting more nursing students into their programs, getting more faculty, because it's a, it's kind of like a domino effect. We, we have a shortage of faculty, so that's helping get the faculty in. We have what's called the Nurse Faculty Loan Repayment Program, which was before this legislative session was only for full-time faculty. And what most universities and schools are seeing is that their faculty, uh, especially their clinical faculty uh, preceptors, are out in working at the hospitals, and they're working only part-time for the universities. And they weren't included in that uh, nurse loan faculty repayment program, but now they're going, to be, uh, they're going to get money back for going and getting their master's degree or going back and get their doctor's degree like that. So that's, those are two of the main ones that we saw that – uh, supported one of the other ones was um, in the school for the school nurses they were able to give uh, breathing treatments to their class their students in the schools they weren't able to do that before and they were seeing a lot of deaths come before the first responders could get there on uh, children with asthma and everything and one of the other things that did pass is they were at, they're able to start giving an opioid antagonist for kids because they're seeing they were seeing a lot of overdoses in, in school, in children from the grade 6 through 12, so they're able to give a, an antagonist to kind of stop that before 911 can get there. Awesome. You know, that NFLP, the Nurse Faculty Loan Program, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, if you have a, if you get your MSN in education or if you add on an educator cert, you are eligible. So if anybody's interested in any of that at UTA, we'll put some information in our um, notes for this episode because there's some options there for sure. Yeah, I was going to add um, also the expansion on Medicaid services through the Affordable Care Act um, expanded mental health and behavioral health services for Texas. And I know at UTA we're ramping up our psych mental health nurse practitioner program, as well as Dallas County's funding, you know, a new psychiatric hospital. So it's definitely you're seeing these funds come to life. Um, and it's definitely an exciting time to see how this will all grow and affect the outcomes of our communities here. And as well as for rural health, this Medicaid expansion, you know, improves uh, maternity and 
labor cost. I know last year you guys hosted the rural health conference that I attended, and we met a physician um, from Childress who kind of described um, the challenges of maternity care in rural health communities. And he, what I thought was eye-opening, he discussed they can only deliver babies Monday through Thursday. And if something happens, they fly the mom out. And ultimately, that increased the cost for the mother, all because they live in a geographical location that isn't conducive to 24-7 maternal care, which is the standard of care here in Dallas County or Tarrant County. So I think increasing the funds for Medicaid expansion is definitely um, a win for Texans and will hopefully improve our future here. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I t- Unfortunately, Texas is 48th in women's care, right? And uh, so that's something that we've we've needed to really focus on in past years. So I'm really happy to hear that we've done something this last legislative session to improve women's care. Um, Mental health care as well. Um, The rural areas in Texas have a 100% mental health care shortage. Um, And so I'm really happy to hear that they're trying to focus a little more on that and expanding some of these these affordable, Affordable Care Act policies to include more mental health care. So that's really, really awesome to hear. Um, So Carrie and Tammy, I know that you guys do a little bit of traveling um, and that's kind of what you guys are super interested in right now. So I'd love to hear a little more about what you guys are doing and why you're doing it um, and, you know, inform inform our viewers on, on what the new research is. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate enough to lead the travel abroad program here at UTA that we recently expanded to MSN and doctoral nursing students here at UTA to join. And what we're doing is going to other countries. We've been to London, we've been to Switzerland, France, and then we're about to add Italy, in which we delve into how they're handling healthcare delivery in their countries, as well as the professional nursing role in those countries. And it's really interesting to see the difference and the similarities between those countries and the United States and, you know, essentially their health outcomes as well. Um, When we traveled to London together, Tammy and I were fortunate to go together and we learned a lot of um, cool things that, you know, England does. You know, they're a national health system, so each citizen pays a certain percentage of their paycheck into a national health service fund that pays for their health care. And... They're, they really focus on primary care prevention, which, you know, in the U.S. we try to do, but I think we're still like an acute episode care, reactive medicine kind of healthcare delivery model here in the United States. But they focus on primary care prevention. And one of the, some of the cool things that I saw that they were doing there is if you're overweight, we know the long-term effects of that, increased cardiovascular disease, stroke, diabetes, which affects your health outcomes. Um, And what the doctor does when you go to see your primary care physician or nurse practitioner there, they'll prescribe you a gym membership, you know, and you have to go three days a week. And that's covered. Your gym membership is covered so that hopefully you lose weight, you get healthier. Um, Another thing they do, too, is if you're depressed or have anxiety, they'll prescribe you um, time to go to the community garden. And that's where you form this relationship with other people. You're outside. You're doing something. You have something worthwhile. Rather than just prescribing you a medication, they're prescribing you community gardening. And you help grow vegetables, which, you know, they give to the homeless shelters. And, you know, it's just a win-win. I think some of those interesting things, solutions, you know, we don't have here in the U.S., and it would be great to see maybe more of a primary care focus. 
Yeah, so I one thing that I have heard about um, countries that offer free health care for their citizens is um, that the time to get care is longer. Yeah, and that's definitely something, you know, we kind of touch upon um, when we're looking at um, the pros and cons. But ultimately, it puts everybody at the same level because currently now – Somebody that doesn't have insurance doesn't have access to see a primary care physician unless they're paying out of pocket. And, you know, that's kind of unfair (laughs) as well. But, yes, there are maybe potentially longer wait times to see your primary care physician. But I know, like, in England, they're really focusing on ramping up not just physician care but nurse practitioner care. And they're really focused on primary, like, FMP role. They call them um, general practitioners there. Um, So for primary care focus, they're definitely ramping that up. And that's where they see like nursing stepping up to the plate and filling the void to hopefully um, reduce those wait times. Okay. I think one of the things that uh, stands out to me on the London trip was, uh, well, there were a lot of things, but one of the things that stands out to me was uh, we got to take a trip to the Florence Nightingale Museum and see where nurses evolved and all that. And I, I heard from so many students that that was one of the highlights of it, just to go see, be at the nursing, uh, Florence Nursing Florence Nightingale Museum. So that's really amazing. Yeah, very interesting to see where you come from. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna grant each of you a magic wand. <laughs> I'm gonna give I you, love this question. I'm gonna give you a magic wand, and based on your time abroad, whether it's in London or, or elsewhere, and I'm actually I think I'm still waiting for the invite to Italy. I haven't checked my email in a while. Don't worry, I haven't gotten it either. Okay, good. I, well, I'll, I'll wait for that one because that one sounds like it's fun. Uh, so looking around at everything you've experienced regarding healthcare in other countries, what's one thing if you could just wave your magic wand and make it true for us here in America, what would that be? I think preventative care. If we could, If we could get our Americans to do preventative care, like they do in the other countries, focus more on preventative care than, like Carrie said, acute care. I think I think that would be a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and I, I would say just equitable care. Um, I know the Institute of Medicine and Healthy People 2030, um, one of their goals is to provide equitable care. So that's care that doesn't um, change due to personal characteristics like gender, race, et cetera, or geographical lo- locations, including rural health. Um, but increasing health insurance for people, um, preventative care, creating neighborhoods that are safe um, with water, lack of transportation issues that you see in rural health that you know people can't go to the physician because they don't have a public train or bus service, um, and also having community resources, especially in rural health. There's no psych mental health. There's no maternity, maternal care um, services in a lot of these counties. And, you know, that effect affects long-term health outcomes. Yeah. I think um, something that I'm, I'm really happy to see on the uptick is we're talking more about rural health in general. Um, obviously, that's, that's my thing, right? Um, I, I really love that we're talking more about it. And we're trying to figure out unique solutions to these problems because, like, you can't solve the transportation issue. Um, I mean, you can help it, but there's no, like, true solution for it unless we just throw tons of money, which is not – it's not available. And so um, I love that, you know, in the in 
the past legislative sessions, we've been uh, improving broadband access um, so that telehealth services can be available to some of these communities. And even, um, you know, people have gone as unique as creating uh, in their local libraries and their local rural libraries. They've been creating like set up healthcare rooms where people can go in. HIPAA is still um, is still followed and people can go and they can see a, a telehealth provider right there in in a room in their local library because all rural communities have libraries so um i i think that that's it's really awesome what we're seeing and what we're starting to see with like the uptick in rural research and and people are truly starting to understand that um you know rural groups and minority groups and remote groups people that don't have this equitable access to care like they're important too and we need to really like hone in on being able to get them access because here in Dallas and Tarrant County like we don't have that problem right we're urban so we have all of the access um and unfortunately while we do still have groups here and areas here that you know are lacking uh in in services like you said um um, neighborhoods that, you know, aren't as safe communities um, or don't have don't have certain access to certain types of health care, uh, like preventative medicine or um, mental health care, things like that. I think that I'm, I'm really glad that we're starting to have these conversations. I know they've been ever evolving. It's not like we've just started having them now, but um, I think that the more we talk about it, the more awareness is out there, the more likely it is that we can start actually helping these, these groups of people. Well, actually, to increase the awareness, I just got an email this week from the hospital I work at um, due to CMS reporting requirements that now we have to report on a health-related social needs screening tool, which addresses health disparities by identifying health-related social needs um, to begin to understand the root causes of health disparities. Um, so we're starting to ask questions. The nurses at the bedside, you know, the, before they would ask, like, the depression screening, are you safe at home screening? But now they're adding on to that to include food insecurity, housing accessibility, transportation accessibility, utility needs, and interprofessional safety. So I think, Amazing. and that just came out this week at the hospital I work at. So we're going to start collecting data on this. Do you, do you think that's because of the older generation? I'm talking your geriatric generation. Because, you know, the baby boomers are... are or have retired or retiring and getting older is it because of that do you feel it's because of that I mean it's very well can be because of like, transportation issues if they don't have a driver's living license how are living at home um you know and more and more people are living alone and their kids are far away that they're there's no one to take care of them too at the home and these are definitely essentially something that's coming out because of the boomers is the highest population right now mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have the highest health yeah. needs you're talking about the areas of, that don't have these resources available. And it's, it's interesting that even in the areas where these resources are readily available, there's still people with significant need. I was, my, one of my daughters was talking the other day about a friend who is struggling with depression and anxiety. And, and she was trying to provide this friend with uh, some, some feedback and some, some informal counseling as the, the type of counseling that only a 12 year old can provide. And I was telling her, I was like, hey, you need to really kind of slow that down. You're 12, you're her friend, you can't really counsel. And she's like, yeah, but her parents can't afford a therapist, period. And I was like, well, that's, that's a hard lesson, right? That's something hard to kind of figure out and piece together. And asking the why that is, if more people start asking why, 
and challenging the answers, I feel like we can make some progress. It's really a matter of we can just go, oh, well, they don't have insurance or their insurance isn't very good or they don't make enough money. And that's all. I mean, those are all answers. Those are all whys. But then you start asking, why is that why? And you can kind of keep building. And I feel like there's a lot of folks out there now that are, are, aren't settling for just the, well, that's the way it is. We're trying to get a little more going, have a little more push for things. Because um, so I think in general people say, oh, you know, I don't want all this, you know, that sounds like socialism. I don't want to do all these things and that whatever. I'm not going to get into those discussions. But I, I really, if you really think and say, this person, nameless, faceless, this individual should have access, true or false. And when people get down to the granular and meet a person face-to-face and hear their story, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to shut that door on them or to accept that the door is shut on them. And I think just having that, it's getting out and meeting people and listening to the advocates and hearing other people's stories because people make a lot of assumptions out there. And so having that personal touch is definitely important. And and one of the, one of the on the... Uh innovative grant that we got it passed for another for seven years we got it extended to seven years so that's going to help simulation uh and get our nurses out there in simulation we're, we're excited about this grant the the dean has worked very hard to get us this rural health grant and basically it's going to get bring we're going to be taking uh our educational skills and teaching skills out to the rural areas for nurses who who the rural nurses who can't get back into this uh aren't in the urban areas, metropolitan areas to, for, to get special training. So, yeah. So, um, the center is actually in the works. It's being built at the moment, but we're, uh, building an RV and the RV is going to have two simulation rooms to where, uh, we'll have mannequins, task trainers, um, a multitude of things. Really. We have, uh, VR experiences and we're going to be able to take those out into the rural communities, a, a, large need that we found in the rural communities is that they don't have the same simulation training experiences that urban areas do. So urban areas tend to have, um, you know, they might have a whole lab on simulation where a nurse, something new comes out and a nurse can go and they can, they can try it out in the sim lab. Um, and so urban, uh, urban areas have that access, rural areas do not. And so that was something that we identified and decided that we wanted to create this unique mobile unit um, and so we'll be driving that out to rural communities um, that that have we've identified needs in um, we'll be sending out those needs assessments soon so admin keep your eyes open in these rural hospitals in Texas um, but basically we're just going to aim to provide increased access to training in these rural areas and that's to nurses students physicians anybody that's in healthcare in these areas we want to we want to aim for um i do want to mention that uh, it's not only you know people in the medical profession that we're aiming to help though in the rural communities we also want to uh, increase access to knowledge in general in rural areas and so even people who aren't in healthcare professions but they have a want or a need um, to improve their knowledge or, or uh, learn maybe some of the f- you know, maybe some of the healthcare terms that they didn't know before or um, didn't understand preventative care. How do I, how, how do I prevent myself from getting uh, diabetes or how do I prevent, prevent myself from, um, you know, moving into obesity and like things, things like that, that are happening that you're seeing. Um, 
I think that it's important that we also help them. So um, if there's anybody in any rural community, whether you're healthcare or not, we're more than happy to help you. Um, if you wanted to reach out to the Center for Rural Health and Nursing here at UTA, I mean, we are more than happy to answer questions um, or, or give you any we're happy to take the needs down. So, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And we're really excited about it. We're hoping that that uh, is here next summer is, is the goal. So we're looking for a bus driver. Yes, we are. We're looking for uh, technically a technician, a simulation technician, um, who also could drive the RV. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're looking for at the moment. So we happy to happy to take emails. <laughs> We'll park that bad boy at the KOA campground. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Um, for our listeners, for those that are interested in getting involved, that want more information, more knowledge, what do you think is the next priority one that people need to really, not necessarily get all on your side about, but what's the next push do you think that's going to be coming for those that want to advocate for nurses? Like Carrie said, I think mental health is going to be a is going to be a big push at the next legislative session because we are seeing so many cases of mental health, uh, not just uh, and that includes all professions and, and uh, lay people. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing going forward. Yeah, and I think too when we traveled to Switzerland, we went to the United Nations, and there was a huge calling for global health climate control mm-hmm. and how that impacts health, and I think that in the next 20, 30 years is gonna be huge. How do we um, improve health with food insecurities? If there's droughts, um, flood, hurricanes are increasing because of global warming. Um, just looking at the health impacts of this climate change that we're seeing exponentially. Um, and it's definitely in the World Health Organization and United Nations priority list right now. And I think that's an interesting topic. You know, and we don't really think about in Texas, maybe with the wildfires, but Around the world, though, this is something that can really be impactful. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for coming and speaking with us today and um, informing our viewers on kind of what's what's new and what's happening. Um, I'm sure if you know if our listeners have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to the center. Um, and Tammy and Carrie are both on our, our website as well, so you're welcome to to find their information um, and send them a message directly. I'm sure you guys would be happy to answer any questions viewers had absolutely and thank you for having us it's been a pleasure yeah this has been great thank you so much so aspen that was a lot of ground we covered today wasn't it yeah it was a lot of ground that we covered i think it was really great material though yeah do you have any other any thoughts reactions um so i did want to add something that we honestly we just got going on other topics something that i did want to add um here is that um, the 10-year bill that we talked about on episode four. um, So it did get passed, but it got passed with some provisions. Um, So the provisions were, uh, are that tenured faculty now have to be um, re-upped for their tenure every three years. Um, And so basically what this does is it makes sure that tenured faculty um, are still doing, you know, what got them into this profession in the first place. Um, And so I, I do think that it'll be good for our students um, and, you know, just making sure that they're, they're still trying to give their best to the students, even though they've already gone through the tenure process, uh, they've already been tenured, and now we're just making sure that they maintain that level of, um, of teaching. Yeah, for sure. 
And it was great having having two guests. That was a first. Yeah. Um, carrying on co- carrying on a conversation like that. Dr. Gigantic, Dr. Eads, they're awesome folks. I've gotten to work with them in a lot of different ways. I am still upset that I don't get to go to Italy. I mean, you don't know that yet. They haven't. They just haven't sent you the invite. Well. I mean, I'm always waiting for the invite <laughs> in a lot of ways, Aspen. And I really think, you know, it's, but it's really good to have them here and have their insight. There's a lot of ways, a lot of rabbits we could have chased. We just didn't quite have the time. But hopefully we can get them back on another episode coming up to go deeper into a lot of these things because really it's encouraging to hear from advocates and those who have a, a, a particular passion for what they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the main takeaway from this episode is that, um, you know, don't be afraid um, to advocate for something that you believe in, um, even if it's not something that you consider yourself an expert in, right? I mean, the, just the na- the word expert is subjective, right? So um, I think that the key takeaway is really just to make sure that, you know, you feel like your voice is heard. And if you have uh, a passion for that and for helping other people, I think that it's important that you go out and you advocate for the things that you believe in and that are important to you. And so if you're a nurse, like we extend the invite to you. Um, You know, if you're not comfortable with advocating yourself by sending letters uh, to your local government, then I strongly, you know, recommend that you join some of these, like the American Hospital Association, the American Nurses Association, um, the NRHA National Rural Health Association. Um, You know, all of those, they, they have um, opportunities for you to advocate at various levels, and they also help you by teaching you how to advocate, too. So, um, I, you know, I just want to extend that opportunity. If anybody has any questions about advocacy, I'm more than happy to answer as well. But, um, you know, I, I just want to extend how important that is and, uh, and emphasize it. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Eads and Dr. Draganic, and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Behind the Scrubs. Join us each month this semester as we continue our conversation with key voices in the nursing community. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To keep up with UT Arlington's College of Nursing and Health Innovation and its various programs, visit us online or connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at UTA Con High. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, y'all.